Well, this morning it's my privilege to introduce Paul Auckland um, uh, to you. He uh, is our interim pastoral ministries candidate. Uh, as a board, we had the opportunity to, to uh, interview him and his wife, Leslie, uh, a few weeks ago and, and really enjoyed our time with them. And in the preceding weeks, I've had some opportunities to spend some just personal time with him. And, and one of the things that, uh, uh, that I've learned, if you were here in Sunday school, you learned a little bit that it's just amazing just the connections that that they have with our church and just how God has been involved in this process and opening in this door. And the other thing that I really appreciated just about Paul's just love for the church and love for God and his desire to want to see churches be all that God wants them to be and to be a, a lighthouse in the community. And so we're excited to have uh, Paul here share with us this morning. So Paul, come and share what God's laid on your heart. Well, again, good morning. <laughs> really? Want to try it again? Good morning. Thank you. I'll just share with you one of the connections we have. Seated back there is Bruce Richards. And I didn't realize he was here, walked in the other day for orientation at the school or for teacher in service. And this guy comes up and says, hey, how you doing? I looked up. We played basketball together in college. We were on the college team. We sat the bench together. We both still have splinters <laughs> from the bench. Right, Bruce? Good to see you. I want to have you take your Bibles and join me this morning in the Gospel of Luke in the 17th chapter. Luke chapter 17. It's a rather interesting passage of Scripture. Jesus has been ministering out among the people, in, and uh, he's begun to give parables to the people. Now he comes alone with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have some questions for him, and he's going to do some more teaching of the Pharisees. So we get into Luke chapter 17. Notice, if you would, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. It's a pretty strong language, isn't it? He goes on, the apostles then say this to him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, Lord, we don't think we can do this. We can't forgive seven times in a day. So would you increase our faith? Look what the Lord says. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have done what was our duty? It's an interesting passage of Scripture. 
I call it the DNA of a disciple. Over the last years in our culture and in our country, DNA has become critical to so many things. And even, even in police investigations, if your DNA is there, you're pretty much uh, tied to your DNA. In fact, your DNA is that molecule that carries the genetic instructions for your growth. It carries all the code for your development, for your functioning and reproduction of all living organisms. DNA is critical. And the disciples of Jesus had DNA that was programmed into them by God himself. And so we, too, have DNA as believers who belong to Jesus Christ. There's DNA that identifies us, and it is that which is responsible for our growth, for our development, for our functioning, and for the reproduction of our lives as Christians, every aspect of it. How did God program his disciples? Well, I think, let me throw a quote at you. One author said this. He said, the mark of an effective church is not how many people come to the church, but how many people live differently as a result of having been there. Because what we do when we come to church is we just go back to the scriptures and we look at Christ, we look at Jesus, and we say, who was he? What was he like? What did he teach? And then say, how do we as individuals respond to that? And how do we live like Christ? So I want, to see, I want you to see from this particular passage of Scripture that he's programmed us in a certain way. And it's just our DNA. And if we don't function as believers the way that he programmed us, there's something that's not right. The, the body then is sick. We, we, we instantly feel that. We know that. So how do we know that? Because our DNA is built into us. And it's put there by Christ himself as believers. And I want you to see from this passage just a couple things. That First of all, we as disciples are programmed to forgive. Forgiveness. We are programmed to forgive. In the passage, he makes it pretty clear that we need to realize a simple truth that temptations to sin, that word temptations there has, a, it's the word stumbling blocks to sin are sure to come. It's an interesting phrase. The, the concept of a stumbling block isn't something that you just trip over. The idea of this word is when you hit a stumbling block, the result is you fall into sin, you commit sin. So he looks out at all believers and he says, particularly to his disciples, and he says to us, you are certain to sin. You are sure to sin. Temptations to sin are sure to come. So what needs to be realized in this passage of Scripture is that all of us in here today as believers, we're not yet programmed to be sinless. Can't do it. If I were to stand up and say to you this week, when you head out this week, when you go home, when you go to work, when you go about the things that you do in the area of play, live without sin. All of you would have to stand up and say, increase our faith. We can't do that. Why can't we do that? Because we're not yet programmed that way. We're not programmed to be sinless. We're programmed for forgiveness. 
It's very critical that we understand that, that particular truth. They say, if that's true, then don't we get a little insensitive to sin? Well, the passage would suggest that we better not because it says this, temptation to sin, sins, they're sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So Jesus isn't saying here, go out in this community and just attempt to sin. He's saying, no, don't do that. But realize that as you go about your life and as you live your life, you can't live it and not sin. That's not your DNA yet. It will someday be your DNA. When glorification takes place and we're made just like Christ, then will we be able to live without sin, but not yet. Not yet. And so we have to realize that we are always to seek and we are always to grant forgiveness because if I can't live without sin and you can't live without sin, then there has to be something which brings us together. And that's forgiveness. And isn't that exactly what salvation is? Christ, me, I am the sinner. I come to him and I ask for his forgiveness. The moment I ask for his forgiveness, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we always seek And we always grant forgiveness, understanding that the goal of our life is not to live sinless. Don't make that your goal. Now, I am not saying go out and make it your goal to sin. But what I say from the passage of Scripture is this to to all of you. Always make it your goal to forgive and to seek forgiveness. Because we are always going to be in a situation where I sin or you sin, they sin. And if we will always grant the forgiveness, that's what our DNA is. In fact, if someone comes, does something or someone comes to me and I don't forgive, then the DNA says that's not how you're supposed to live. Well, I said, what? Okay, I forgave them. The goal is forgiveness. The Forgiveness is the idea of this. Forgiveness is the promise that I will never bring up your sin again in a judgmental way. That's tough. Because I always can remember what you did, but I forgive you, it means this. I will never bring this up again in a judgmental way. Why? Because I forgave you. And I want to encourage you as we come here today for this really first time for me to be here with you and to speak to you, to understand that forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is essential for a church to be able to function as God intended it to function. And if I don't grant you forgiveness, or you don't grant me forgiveness, or we don't grant others forgiveness, it's going to begin to build a a, a wall. It's going to begin to build a a ditch that's going to develop into a chasm and Satan is going to use it and that's the very point at which he's going to attack. The areas that Satan will always come after us is in the areas where we struggle to forgive others. That's just how he works. So he said, well, I've forgiven this guy. So Christ, he's kind of got us covered already. He said, no. He said, if he sins seven times in a day... 
and he comes to you and says, forgive me, I repent. Christ says, you must forgive him. You must. So you can see that as Christ deals with this issue, that what he has programmed us for as believers is he's just programmed us to forgive. And in a story, as he gives this to the disciples, the disciples are sitting there like, probably like we're sitting here today. Really? So they look at Christ, and this is their first, their first statement. <laughs> Increase our faith. And if you look at this in this context, in this, in, in this statement, what they're saying is, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know that we have the capability to just forgive. And don't you find that's exactly where we struggle? We struggle with forgiveness. Because things happen in life, things happen in churches, things just always happen. And as a result of it, forgiveness needs to take place because forgiveness is the only solution for sin. There is no other. And that's where we struggle. And like the disciples, we need to look at Christ and simply say this, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Help me to be able to do that. So Christ takes them on a little journey here and begins to teach them and gives them an illustration, and he teaches them that disciples are not only programmed for forgiveness, but disciples are also programmed for faith. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. To try to get you to, to see faith, in, not in a new way, but just refresh the, uh, your thought on faith. Because here he said, Lord, increase our faith. We can't do this. They're saying this, we can't live without sin. And they're saying there, and we're going to struggle with impacting others with our sin, and we're going to struggle with the area of forgiveness. So you're really... There's really three things the disciples are saying when they look at Christ is saying, look, we're going to sin and as a result of our sin, others are going to stumble. And then others are going to sin against us and we're going to struggle to forgive them. So this kind of cuts in every direction. And it certainly is this. It is certainly a relational concept. And in relationships, forgiveness is an absolute essential. I was thinking in relation to our marriage. What's the secret? We've been married, I don't know how many, what is it? 41. 41 years. Someone asked her yesterday, what, she was taught working with a girl at a wedding yesterday helping, and the girl looked at her and said, what's the secret? So I looked at her and said, yeah, what is the secret? Simple. The secret is our willingness to forgive each other. It's our willingness to forgive each other. So here stands these disciples, understanding there's this whole concept of Christianity, which is, all, which is all relational. It's a relationship with Christ, and it's a relationship with each other. And they're sitting here understanding that Christ is training them to be the leaders of the church. And they understand we can't live without sin. They understand that their sin is going to cause others to stumble into sin as well. And they understand that if someone comes to them and says, forgive me, if seven times a day, Lord, you got to increase our faith. You just have to increase our faith. 
And so the Lord answers them and he says, faith is this. He says, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed. So it's not our great faith. It's our little faith. Often think this, it's not our great faith in God. It's our little faith in a great God. Because he's a big God. And as they begin to deal with this and they begin to say, help us. I want you to understand that they're doing something. They're focusing on the future. They're focusing on the future. And I want you to see this morning as we come in to speak to you this morning that we need to be a people of faith. But if you really think through faith and you understand faith, faith isn't about what happened in the past. Faith is about what's going to take place in the future. And I find that in churches and talking to pastors that sometimes what we do in churches is we want to go back to the way it used to be. We want to go back to the good old days. We want to go back. You know what it takes to go back? Sight. Just simple sight. It doesn't take any faith to go backwards. And so the Lord, as he deals with these people, he's simply making this statement to these disciples. He's saying, okay, you need, the grain, you, you need a seed the size of a mustard seed because we're going forward. We're talking about the relationships you're going to have in the future. We're talking about the way you're going to live in the future. We're talking about the people that are going to come to you and ask forgiveness. We're talking about the people that you're going to have to go to for forgiveness. It's all the future. It's all the future. Faith is simply the realization that I can't control the future. I don't know the future. But we know the one that does, and we have to walk with God into the future. I've been a part of a church very similar to yours for all my life. And if I've heard one time or heard a thousand times, I miss the good old days. It's funny that we forget about the struggles of the past and remember the highlights of the past, remember those good old days. When they were in them, they weren't that good. When they were in them, they were looking to the future. Churches are built not because people are looking at the past, but because people are trusting God for the future. Really a simple concept, but one we miss. I always like to say this. Tell you what, take your 2016 car with all of its options and trade it in for a 1960 car. Let me know how it works out for you. If I remember right, as a kid, our cars never had air conditioning. Our, our cars, if I remember right, we had to wind the windows up. Right? If I remember right, radios were an option, and then they were only AM. Right? If I remember right, 
when I had to steer around the corner, it was pretty hard because they hadn't yet invented this thing called power steering. And then along the way, power steering became an option. Air conditioning became an option. FM radio became an option. And you laugh. Anybody want to go back? Wasn't that great, was it? And what we have to call Mount Calvary to is this. Focus on the future. What does God have for you in the future? You don't know. But if you will have the faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, which is really small. He said, you can remove this mulberry tree. It will be uprooted and will be planted in the sea. What he's saying this, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to take your gaze from back here and move your gaze in this direction, and you're willing to trust me with your circumstances and your situations, and you're willing to be obedient to the word of God, and you're willing to make the sacrifices necessary for the cause of Christ, there's no telling what a church like this could accomplish. You really don't know. But it takes a willingness to focus but the reason that we can do it is because it's our DNA. Our, we are programmed to trust God with our future. But sometimes we just kind of like to look to the past. So faith is not trying to grow our life stronger. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't saying, I've got to make my spiritual muscles bigger so that I can handle more. No, it's not that. It's the size of the gr- a mustard seed. Faith, it, it, it's, it's a focus on God. It's a focus on his ability, not our ability. In fact, it's us coming say, God, we are incapable. But you are all powerful. And when we come and realize that we are the sinners every day in every way who are in need of a savior to forgive us every day, willing to trust God for the future, then God says, I'll uproot things, I'll plant things, I'll do things, and what you get is what God can do, and that's what we want here. Really want to see what God can do through the com- in the coming days. I know it's hard going, what you've gone through is hard stuff, without a doubt. What you've gone through has the ability to hurt, has the ability to leave cuts because relationships christianity is all about relationships and whenever relationships get separated severed or cut that that's just hard stuff and you begin to look and say but if we could just go back what if we looked and said god we're going to trust you and trust you we're going to walk by faith believing that the best days for this church are the days that are ahead of it, not the days that are behind it. You willing to believe that? You willing to take God at his word? You willing to exercise faith even when you don't understand what's going on or why it's going on or all of this stuff that always happens? Are we willing to just say, God, we're going to take it at your word It's not 
we're going to get stronger, we're going to get better. No, we're just going to trust you to an even greater degree because these kind of circumstances drive us to you. And that's what they should do. So faith is believing that God is big and people are small. Now, I contend with you that you do exercise faith every day. And you rarely think about it. Because most of you this morning went out, got in your car, and turned the key on expecting the car to start. Right? Some of you that drove here drove across an overpass. You didn't think about driving across the overpass, did you? You didn't stop to check it out and walk around and walk under it. You just, you just exercised faith. See, your people are programmed for faith. Even lost people are programmed for faith. It's just what do they put their faith in? We are programmed to always look to the future. We are programmed to always exercise faith because we can't see it. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And I want to just say to you this morning that one of the things that's essential for this church is to begin to say, I understand all of this that has taken place in the past, and we'll take a look at it. But I also understand that God has great stuff for us in the future. And that's what we're programmed for. So you get all this stuff. Christ teaches them forgive, okay? Teaches them to have faith. But then Christ tells a story that just seems utterly out of place in this particular passage of Scripture. And Christ turns his focus and he says, disciples are programmed not only for forgiveness and not only for faith, but disciples are programmed for love. Look at, look at this. He, as he finishes this, in verse number 6, comes down to the end of the verse, he said, this mulberry tree will be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And then he leads into this story that says this, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Come sit with me at the table. This is one of the weirdest illustrations Christ has ever given. It just totally makes no sense. In that day, if you understand, in that day, what he's saying is the, the owner of these, what would have been employees, but they're considered servants or slaves, they're out in the field work and they come in from a day's work and the, the, the owner, the boss, the manager the, the, comes over and says, hey, come on and have, have supper with me. Well, shouldn't I get cleaned up first? I don't worry about it. Just come on. So they've been working in the field all day. They come in. The owner comes up and says, hey, sit down and have supper with me. In that culture, in that day, that never happened. So you look at this illustration and you say, this is one of the weirdest illustrations that Christ ever gave. But he's making a point that distinguishes Christianity in a way that nothing else can. Because the picture here points to Christ, and Christ is going to come someday, when we get to heaven, he's going to, hey, come sit at table with me. Come sit and recline at table with me. Come have supper with me. Oh, I got to get clean up. I got that all taken care of. I did that for you. This illustration just, this is not how a master in that day would treat his servants. 
This is not how a servant in that culture would expect to be treated. This is an out-of-culture story. But it's how the kingdom of God works. And it's important for us to understand that we are programmed this way. We are programmed to love one another. That's how we're programmed. I know, but you don't know what happened. Jesus does. In fact, he knew it was going to happen before it happened. He wasn't surprised. He hasn't been surprised by anything so far. But, but, no, no, we're programmed to love. The concept here is simply this, that a noble master will treat a servant nobly by caring for their needs. That's what Christ does. In verse 7 and 8, it points that out. This passage teaches us that a noble master will reward you for your service, and especially when it comes to the level of sacrifice. Anyone want to guess who the noble master is? Any of you imagine walking on heaven's shore? First person you meet is Jesus Christ. Looks you in the face. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Come have dinner with me. It's Christ. And so he looks at us and he said, That's how we're to treat each other. That's our responsibility to love one another. So how you doing? How you doing at that? As we wind this thing up this morning, I want to just show you something and say, why, why should we do this? What is the motivation that lies behind our actions and our behavior? And why should I forgive someone? They, I mean, honestly, they don't deserve it. They may not. Why should I exercise faith? Why should I look to the future and walk by faith, not by sight? Why? And why should we love each other? I mean, don't you know that the closer we get to people, the more they hurt us? The, the only people that hurt you are the people that you're really close to. So why enter into these relationships and why risk any of this? So what is it that motivates us to any of it? Let me just call your attention to the time in the scriptures when a bunch of Pharisees caught a woman in the act of adultery. In the very act of adultery. And they grab this woman and they bring her to the feet of Jesus and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus and say, we caught her in the act of adultery. What are you going to do? And Jesus simply kneels down and begins to write in the ground. Looks up at all the people and says, Whichever of you have no sin, cast the first stone. And slowly, one by one, they just begin to peel away because they all know that they are sinners. And Jesus looks down at this lady and says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? 
Oh, no, they're gone. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and stop sinning. He forgave her. You know what the law demanded? Stoner. You know what Jesus did? I forgive you. Go and sin no more. So why should we forgive? Because when you came to Jesus and he looked down at the mess in your life and you asked his forgiveness, he said, forgiven. And we forgive because Jesus taught us to forgive. We forgive because Jesus gave the example of forgiveness. Why do we exercise faith? Do you remember when Christ was taken and they led him outside the town and there they crucified him? Do you remember the night before? The night before, Jesus went up into the garden, took a couple disciples with him, and he began to pray. And as he prayed, he said this. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cross, remember it? Knowing it's the next day, knowing exactly what he's going to go through, he looks up into the face of the Father and he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, don't let tomorrow come. I don't want tomorrow. I don't want to face what I have to face tomorrow. Because faith always focuses on the future. And Jesus in his prayer says, Lord, let it pass from me. But then he says this, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So as we exercise faith, our prayer as we go into a season of prayer over the next couple of months is this. Not my will. Not what I want here. Not what I want of a church. Not my will. But your will be done. And as we enter a time and a season of prayer, can our prayer be this? Let's exercise faith. Your will be done as we look at tomorrow and the next day and the next. Nevertheless, your will be done. So why do we exercise faith? Here's why we exercise faith, because Jesus exercised faith. And he exercised faith when he prayed let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's why we're programmed. That's why our DNA is what it is, because it was the DNA of Jesus. Your will. Your will. Be a great conversation piece, wouldn't it, for all of us when we get into our conversations? Well, I want, I want, I want. Stop. Your will. Your will be done. And I give you one other story. 
that took place that's kind of in a counterculture story out of the disciples came to Jesus one day and Jesus went over and got a basin and got a towel and came over and began to bent down and began to wash the feet of the disciples remember that remember what the disciples did remember what they said Hey, 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 you should not be washing our feet. We should be washing your feet. But Jesus in that moment pictures his forgiveness. He pictures his love and he washes the feet of disciples. That is totally counterculture. And that is totally the opposite of what you think. Jesus is the king of Christianity and he is, is he not? But he's also the one that washes our feet. So why do we love others? Why do we do this? Here's why we do it. Because it's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. So I just want you to take a look in your own life and just ask this simple question. Is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Is there anybody that I'm not willing to forgive? Am I holding something in my heart that I know should not remain there but needs to be dealt with and am i willing to forgive anybody anything if they simply come and ask or is there someone you need to go to and say i need your forgiveness because i haven't acted right in this and then what about our faith are we focused on the future are you kind of looking to the past are you expecting great things from God? Or you kind of want things the way it was? And what about your love? Who is it that you just need to wash their feet? Who is it that you just need to express? We're here. The world will know us by our love. So as you enter into this season, in this time in your church, my request is that we as disciples simply do this. We act with the DNA with which we've been programmed. And that's what causes things to operate here. Not my will, your will. But he's sin forgiven. And we show and demonstrate a genuine love for each other and for God. Get it? Okay. I say get it, you say got it, I say good. Okay? You ready? Get it? Good. Now, I always say this too. I got what I'm saying. If we don't live this, we don't believe this. And so we live it because we believe it from the very depths of our being. Make sense? We are. You know, football's coming up, Penn State. We are. I don't like them either, so don't worry about it. But we can say it this way here at, at, at Mount Carver. We can say, we are disciples. We are. We are. That's who we are. That's the DNA that's programmed into us. Father, we just fail at this 
at every point. We're slow to give, forgive. We're slow to live by faith. And we're cautious with our love. But that's not what we're programmed to be. We're programmed to be just like you. We're programmed to forgive. Because whenever we come to you with anything, you always forgive us. Whenever we exercise faith, you always do extraordinary things. And when we live and love the way we're supposed to, it just builds relationships and brings others to Christ as a result. So bless us and help us today, tomorrow, and in the days ahead to live the way we've been programmed to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.